It's Christmas time in Manumi. Happy candle bells. <laughs> Merry candle bells. Let's Merry candle bells, yeah. Happy like candle bells. And welcome to a very special presentation of Make Believe Heroes. I'm Paul, your Dungeon Master, and it's time for another Christmas-themed Candle Bells special in the world of Manumi. And for this very special Candle Bells episode, I'm joined by a few friends. Hello, my name is Landon. I will be playing Silric Valar, a high elf wizard. Wizard. Hi, I'm Eli. I'll be playing Tolkis Caldwell, wood elf druid. Wood elf druid. Hello, I'm Levi, and I play Keltar Everwood, a human paladin. Human paladin. So, we have a human paladin, we have a wood elf druid, and a high elf wizard. Tolkus, Keltar, and... Silric. Silric, that's your name. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> like... You gotta know your name. No, I thought you were gonna say it. So, the three of you are in your respective homes. I'm assuming one in Venthaven, one in Fallen Grove... And one somewhere around Branchar, correct? Yes. Yes. So as you're all at home on this Candle Bells Eve, the most festive night of the year, although Candle Bells is not necessarily celebrated in all places around the world, but in your homes it is. So let's see. Silric, what does your household do to celebrate Candle Bells? Oh, uh, we have a dinner. Mm-hmm. On Candle Bells Eve? Yeah. What sort of dinner? Like fancy food or like homestyle food? Yeah, like... Turkey and all that kind of stuff. You have a family. Yeah. So who's in your family? Not their names, but like you know. Wife. You got. Two you got kids? a wife. You got a. I don't know. <laughs> wife, two kids. Oh, that's fine. Just whatever. So, How old am I? I don't, I don't even know. know. That's a good question. So are you a kid or are you an adult? I want to be a kid. Okay, so you have brothers and sisters. Yeah. How many? Um, uh, two. Okay. Two brothers. All right, and both parents still alive. Yep. Neither have been like really murdered. No. Okay, that's good. <laughs> Uh, cool. So you're at home. You're enjoying your Candle Bells dinner. Tolkis, what does the Caldwell family do to celebrate Candle Bells on Candle Bells Eve? Eat supper, shoot bows. Shooting bows. That's fun. Uh, do you have, like, competitions? Mm-hmm. Do you usually win? Sometimes. Sometimes. Okay. Do you have siblings? Yep. How many? Three sisters and one brother. Okay. <laughs> that checks out. Huh? Three sisters and one brother. Um, who's winning this year in the bow shooting contest? Me. Uh, of course, Tolkis is in the lead. And as you're shooting your bows and enjoying a nice Candlebell's Eve as the sun is getting low, Keltar, what does Keltar do to celebrate Candlebells in Branshire? Well, he has a um, he has a great sword. Okay. So usually he will go through like the woods and just chop down ginormous trees. He is using <laughs> to celebrate candle. Is he looking for the perfect Candlebells tree? He goes out and finds the biggest, strongest, greatest looking Christmas tree, chops it down with his greatsword and takes it down to his house. For Candlebells? Yes. Enormous. Does it fit in the house? No. Okay. He has to cut a hole in the roof every year. You are dragging your enormous Candlebells tree to your house and the sun is setting. 
The sun's not quite setting in Vinhaven. It's it's a little, still got some time. But for you, Keltar, the sun is setting for you. It's getting pretty dark. Silric, it's 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 just sort of starting to descend a little bit. And you all feel a sort of strange kind of sensation, like a tickling in the back of your mind. It's uh, it's odd. You just sort of pause for a moment, and you stop. You have an inexplicable um, sort of compulsion to look up. There's this tickle in the back of your mind, and as you look up, you see far above you a twinkling star. And as your eyes lock on that star, you suddenly become very cold. (laughs) (laughs) Also, it is very dark. You feel a weird feeling in the pit of your stomach as you look up, and you are all three at the same time standing in about two feet of snow. And directly in front of you, there was an enormous, tall tower completely surrounded by candles and it is rising high up into the sky and the moment that you land here in this cold and you are just sort of gathering your senses and trying to figure out what's going on it's dark except for the gleam of the candles surrounding this tower in front of you the door directly in front of you which you didn't notice but there's a large double door right at the foot of this enormous candle tower it swings open outward and bright light fills the area around you. And that's when you notice two other figures standing right next to you. Tolkis, you look around and you see a high elf and a human. And the same for the other three of you. It's cold, it's windy, there's a large, enormous candle tower and a bright, warm light shining out through a double door. What do you do? What is going on? Who are you? Why am I here? I'm confused. Do you go inside? Um, yeah. I'll say we do it. When I go out to get the tree, I usually take a candle. Mm-hmm. So I want to leave okay. with the candle. Okay. Lead the way. Okay. You hold a candle aloft as you, <laughs> enter, as you enter into the <laughs> candle tower. Sorry. Keltar, you step inside the large double doors, and you are immediately engulfed in warmth. I mean, it is a warm and cozy, very comfortable ambience inside of here. The other two follow suit? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. All right, so Tolkis, you come in behind him. And just like Keltar, it's just warm. There's the smell of fresh cookies in the air. And it just, well, let me say this. Whatever smell you most associate with candle bells, that is what you smell. So, for example, Silric, you probably smell some sort of fancy hors d'oeuvre that your mom has always made every year. Tolkis, you might smell the forest or a special type of food that you guys eat there, some kind of stew or a certain bread. Okay, so maybe it's like some sort of gamey stew, like rabbit stew. Maybe it's something you guys always have around this time of year. Keltar, you smell turds. Uh, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I smell pizza. Keltar, you probably smell fresh bread or fresh baked uh, you know, cookies and stuff like that from Branshire. And it's just candle bells in your soul. And as you step in the door and the warmth envelops you, you can't help but smile. As you look up and see ahead of you a large throne, very large throne. It is made of solid gold. I mean, it's almost gaudy. It's so huge and golden. And seated on that throne is a very tall figure who you've never seen but often heard of and often thought of. Very tall figure with a long white beard wearing gold and silver robes. In his hand, he has an enormous red and white candied staff, sort of like a cane, like a a walking staff, uh, and lying beside this enormous throne is a lush white and silver 
cat. And it is the Candle King. Something's about to go down, y'all. <laughs> He's like, it's last time I saw real. this guy, we fought. <laughs> this time I got clanked in the face with like a monkey. That was not English. <laughs> oh, yeah, I forgot about that. Okay. All right. That was not English. I'm very sorry. Keltar, Tolkis, Silric, welcome to the Candle Tower. Please approach my throne. Nah, man, I'm going back outside. <laughs> <laughs> I still ain't found my tree yet. The, the door is shut behind you. No, come in, come in. It, is it not candle bells? Let us speak together. I have summoned the three of you for a very important task, one that only the three of you can complete. Come on, I was winning. Oh, don't worry. When all is said and done, you shall be returned directly to your homes at the moment that you left, as if you were never gone. (laughs) Okay, what do we got to do? I want to get to the point. Let me just hurry up. Get done now. Well, Silric... Take a moment and enjoy. Would you like a cookie? Sure. How about some caviar? I know that your family is big on caviar this time of year. No, uh, no thanks. No? I want some milk and cookies. How about these little cucumber sandwiches? I made them especially for you. Ooh, those are my favorite. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds delicious. Mm. Yes, I have cookies for you, Keltar and Tolkis. We have some fresh Vincent, if you'd like. I don't know what that is. It is dear, <laughs> Keltar. Sorry. I am sorry to steal you away from your families at this most important and joyous of time of candle bells. I know that the three of you particularly enjoy this season, do you not? Yes. I've summoned you for a very important purpose. That purpose involves the continuing of candle bells itself. I'm afraid to say that all three of you who live in the central and southern parts of Monomi are outside of my reach tonight. I was able to bring you here with a very powerful spell, but it is not one that I can perform again for quite some time. And as is my usual way, I like to travel across Monumi and deliver gifts to the most faithful, the most joyous, the most interested in candle bells, those who remember the Candle King. But this year, I'm afraid to say that my wicked brother has stopped me. Oof. Let's kill him. <laughs> well, well, whatever, whatever gets us home fast enough. I would rather, I would rather not have to kill somebody. Listen, Keltar, calm down. When you are finished and I send you home, you'll be right back at your tree, right back at your doorstep, as if you never left the moment that you looked up at that star. Nothing to worry. I'll take care of you. But the point is very simply this. My wicked brother... That fiend. He has become a wicked old sinner. He's not interested in the kindness of candle bells. He's not interested in the joy that I spread to all the children of Monumi. <laughs> no. Rather, he is only interested in standing in my way. And I would like the three of you to go on a very wholesome journey. To convince him of the importance of candle bells. Not to kill him, <laughs> Tolkis, no, not that. I would rather not have to kill somebody. Uh, <laughs> yes, I, I'd say that is that doesn't exactly align with your beliefs, does it, Keltar, as a paladin of Pelor? I know Pelor's not for murder. No. 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 My brother, Tarkin, is the the watcher of the sea. 
in my world, this world, he says, kind of pointing around, which is very different from Manumi, very different indeed. But if the three of you will agree, only three children of a pure heart, such as yourselves, with, let's say, an open mind, are fit for such a task, would you be willing to complete this task? Yes. Why not? Sure. All right. My brother Tarkin, the avatar of the sea, an avid follower of Privalian on your world, he watches o'er the spring equinox, a day of power for the sea and Privalian. I'm afraid that with his power of the storm, he is preventing me from traveling south to the coast. But you three, no, you three can go. It is only me who he has restricted. So if you will, I would like to send you there, to the south, to the coast, to my brother. Come, come forward, come forward. I have something for each of you. And he pulls up from his side a big golden bag. And he begins to reach inside, and he pulls out three small gifts. He gives one first to Keltar. Keltar, yours will be the first of three gifts. Open it, please. It's wrapped in a silver wrapping. I'm so excited. <laughs> you open it? Yes. You open it, and inside there is a large, not you know, not huge, but you know, probably the size of um, a coconut. There is a silver bell. It seems to be made of the purest silver. It's beautiful. Uh, and it has a little handle on the top where you could ring it, and you grab it, and you go to turn it. Oh, no, 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 wait. Don't ring it. Don't ring it yet. That bell is empowered with a spell. One that you will use that will empower you to convince my brother Tarkin of the error of his ways. But don't ring it yet, all right? Yes, sir. And don't worry, it won't happen accidentally. You have to take that handle and ring it before it will activate the spell. Then he uh, turns to you, Tolkus. Tolkus, come forward. He hands you a gift, and this one is wrapped in green wrapping. I open it. You open it, and it's kind of a long slender box. You open it, and you pull out what looks like a branch. It's a bough of holly. Uh, But the moment that you touch it, you can tell, because being a druid, that this is no regular piece of holly. There's something going on here. As you might have guessed, there is a spell in your holly as well. When it is time to use it, it will present itself to you. And then he summons for you. Come forward, Silric. And he hands you a box. It's a long, tall box. It's about probably up to about your, you know, your ribs, more or less. And it is a red wrapping paper. I open it. You open it up, and it looks like a walking cane made of candy, like peppermint, red and white stripes. This is a candied cane for you, Silric. But I would recommend that you not eat it, although I'm sure it looks delectable. When the time comes, you must simply break it. And when you do, it will unleash the spell within. I don't want to break it. <laughs> and then you can eat it. Yay! <laughs> can I know what my spell is? Or is that a surprise, like a mm, gift? Uh, no, I, I will tell you. When you go to him and you use your bell, it will unleash a spell that will show him a memory. One of my dearest memories. Uh, it will take him back to the far past. And he will see when times were good. And he will find that his bitterness toward candle bells is needless. And the same is for all of you. Each of your spells will take him to a very specific memory that I have chosen. You will see it and he will see it. And the world will be better for it. Now, 
I'm afraid time is growing short. It is the eve of candle bells. We have only until midnight before these spells break. Are you ready? Yeah, let's do it. I guess. Very good. You see the Yule Cat stand up and sort of stretch, where it kind of leans back and stretches its legs forward like an enormous tiger. Uh, and then it like, lifts up a paw and like raises its neck up to the Candle King. And he says, Be very careful. My brother will certainly have guards on the lookout. And then he reaches over and rings the bell on the Yule Cat's neck. And the three of you feel that little tickle on the back of your head again. And you're gone. Hmm. You're gone, and you feel a little leaping in your stomach, and you land with your feet on the hot sand of the beach. You are on the beach, far, far south. Obviously, it's not Manumi. You can tell something about the air here is different. Something about everything feels different, and you don't know why, but it is. And you are on the beach, but it's dark out. The sun has already set here. Night has fallen. It is in the latter part of the day, and you have a mission to take care of. Up ahead of you, even though it is dark, you can all see quite clearly by the brightness of the stars that are shining down on the white sandy beach where you stand. Some short distance away, you can see them by the moonlight, a cove. Far up the beach, the beach goes inward, and there is a cove that wraps around and far to the left. And in that cove, there is a large cavern inside of the wall of the coast and uh you're pretty sure that is where you need to go let's do it what do you do we go what's your name paladin keltar good what's your name wood elf Tolkus. Hmm. are we being mean to each other like well <laughs> <laughs> what's your name stuck up snob no i'm just kidding <laughs> I, wouldn't, I wouldn't call you stuck up snob well what is your name what's your name hat elf silric hmm, that's a cool name Thanks. So you guys have been tasked with saving all of Candle Bells. So, I mean, that's probably pretty cool, right? How does Santa Claus do this? Candle King. How does the Candle King do this? You guys see that cove up ahead of you. Which plan? I go towards it. You're going to start walking that way? I'll follow. Once again, I still have the candle, so I want to lead the way with the candle. Okay. You're up ahead. I'm going to say that you're a little bit ahead of them. And you are an elf, so you've got pretty decent sight. Plus, you have dark vision. Even though it's nighttime with the starlight and the moon, you can see very clearly. Why don't you give me a perception check? Yeah, 21. 21 is very good. Okay. So with a 21, Tolkis, you start walking, and these two are kind of chattering behind you, and they're, they're coming up behind you. And you can hear the clink, 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 clink of Keltar's armor. <laughs> and as you're looking up ahead, you see movement and suddenly you realize that up around the opening of this cavern, there are figures walking around. I stop and draw my bow. Okay, you all see Tolka stop and draw his bow. I would like to pull out my short sword, or actually no, my javelin. So my you javelin. don't know why he stopped, you just know that he stopped. Yes, but just for safety precautions, sure. I would like to pull out my javelin. Right, okay, you've got your javelin. What is going on? Do y'all see that? There's somebody in the front of that cave. Maybe it's a magic snowman. Doubt it. Those things don't exist, even in this uh, world. Okay. <laughs> I'm sorry. What you need to think about is, what are you going to do? Are you guys just going to just go up and face them? Or are you going to try and sneak in? What's your plan? I'm going to try to sneak. I'll sneak behind him. Okay, what about Keltar? I guess try my hardest to sneak in and make as little noise as possible. Or you could let them sneak up and you could hang back and watch for a minute and wait for their signal. Keltar, stay here. Your arm's too loud. Me and the high elf will go Clink, clink, clink. 
So do you hang back, Keltar? Yes. Okay. So, Tolkus, you and Silric are going to try and sneak in. I'm going to need stealth checks from the both of you. So, Tolkus, you got a four plus six. Mm-hmm. That's a ten. So, that's a ten. And, Silric, you've got a three plus four. So, that's a seven. Got a seven. So, you guys are sneaking up. You're kind of hugging the wall, trying to look for dark places to hide. You're doing pretty well. You get to a point where actually the water, the tide is kind of coming in and it's kind of like splashing up over the sand and you can't really tell if it's like shallow or deep right there because there's a point where you're going to have to actually go through water to get over to the doorway of this cavern. Uh, Keltar is hanging back and he is watching you guys. Keltar, you see them going forward. Give me a perception check, Keltar. 13. 13 plus your perception, which is a plus one. So you got a 14. Let me roll. I'm going to say with a 13... You notice something come up behind them in the dark. I want to call out and say, guys, look out behind you. You hear a voice yell out, guys, look out behind you. And you turn around and there's some sort of large humanoid fish person standing behind you with a spear in its hand. Let's roll initiative. Is this the Krusty Krab? It's not. I got a 22. I got a 17. So, Levi, you got an 11. Okay. Tolkus. You turn around and you see this large fish-type person holding this trident-like spear out toward you. What do you do? Um, I'm going to use my action to turn into a black bear. Okay. So you morph into a black bear before this thing's very eyes. Roll me an intimidation check as you do that. 14. I'm going to say that it's, so it's technically your charisma, but since you're a bear, what I'm saying is if you it kind of freaks this thing out when you just turn into a bear, do you like roar at it or anything? Okay, you like growling, roar at these things, you turn into a bear. I'm going to say that uh, it doesn't use your charisma as much as it uses your strength, so that's going to be a plus two to that. So you said you rolled a 14? So he's going to roll to see how he handles that. So that scares him. He kind of stumbles back when you roar at him, and uh, the next person who attacks is going to have advantage on the attack roll. And the next person who attacks is Silric. I'm going to use a firebolt. Okay, roll a d20. Okay, uh, that's a nine. It's roll. A nine. It, you have advantage. That's that's gonna hit, but roll it again just to make sure you don't uh, get a crit. Nope. So eleven plus seven is an eighteen. Uh, so that is a hit. So roll me two d tens. Whoa, it's a ten and a two. So that's for twelve damage. All right. So you blast the first guy for twelve damage. The firebolt goes right toward him, hits him in the chest, and now he's really good and freaked out. That's the end of your turn. Yep. Two more come crawling out of the sea and like dive out towards you guys. And now all three of them are going to try and attack you. Okay. The first one is going to try and attack you, Silric, since you just burnt his pal. He is going to take his spear and he's going to try and attack you. Oof. I think that's going to be a hit. So you are going to take 1d8. Three plus one, you take four piercing damage as this spear comes jabbing towards you. The second one is going to come at you, Tolkus, with a spear. Ooh, that is a a seven. Does that hit your armor class? My armor class is 16. So no. All right, the other one's going to try and hit you too, Tolkus, because he come up on your side. This one is the one that uh, that you scared back as the bear. That is a 13, so that is also a miss. Do you have, well, actually, you know what? We need to, we need to do back one thing up. When you're a bear, you have the bear's armor class. I forgot. So, the bear's armor class for a black bear is actually only an 11. 
So it does hit you as the bear. So he's going to roll his damage on you. He rolled a one. You take two damage. And now it is his turn. I'm not even in there. I'm still outside. You're, they're not in there either. They're still outside. These things have attacked you outside the, the cave. All right. You saw it coming up. You yelled out. So do you want to run toward them and try and help them fight? Yes. Okay, so you're yes. going to uh, run yes. toward them. I'm going to say that they, they didn't uh, get yes. too far away from you, probably about 30-ish feet. So I'll say that you can you can get to one of them uh, this turn. So you want to rush forward and make an attack? I guess. <laughs> okay, he guesses. So you're going to go attack. Uh, what do you want to do? Just pull out your great sword and try and cut one in half. And remember, when you attack, you get to attack twice. So you run forward and uh, you draw your sword. Yes. Go ahead and make your attack then. 15. 15 plus your modifier, which is a plus 7. 22 does, in fact, hit. So I need you to roll me two D6s. Here, I'll give you an extra one. Roll me two D6s. Two and a five. All right, so that's a 7 plus 4. So that's 11 damage. You now have a second attack. 16. Okay, with a 16, that is plus 7. That's another hit. Roll your two D6s. Oh, my. Six and a five. Okay, six and a five plus four. Uh, you just killed this guy. So how does it look when you kill this guy? Or you just, like, knock him out? You don't have to kill him. I'm not beheading this guy, Eli. <laughs> I'm an evil medieval you knight. You don't have to kill him. You just knock it unconscious. It's unconscious. Oh, yeah, sure. Knock it out. You want to knock him out? Yes. Okay, so how do you do that? I want to hit him in the side with my long with my greatsword. <laughs> I, okay. hit him, I hit him in the side. So that's gonna kill him. So you know, maybe you take like the hilt of your sword and like bonk him in the head. In the head, something. like I just said, you know, Tom and Jerry it. style. <laughs> yeah, you just bonk him. What's wrong with you? Okay, you don't kill it. You knock it out. It falls down unconscious. Okay, so that one is down. Now it is your turn. It's your turn again, Tolkus. I'm gonna try to bite him. Okay. You're going to attack the one that he burnt with the fire or the other one? The one he burnt. Okay, so you're going to try and attack the one that he burnt. All right, roll me a d20. You have multi-attack. It's an 18. 18 plus your bear attack. Your bear attack for a bite is a plus four. So you have, so it's 22. That's a hit. Go ahead and roll me 1d6 plus two. Seven. Seven damage. All right. So you can do a multi-attack. You can do one bite and one claw attack. You want to do the claw attack? Yep. All right, go ahead and roll me another attack roll with your d20. 20. Natural 20. Natural 20. Okay, this man go down. needs some d4s. You need four of them. So here's three. All right, roll that plus your d4. And this is a natty 20. You come at it with both claws. What you got? So three, three, two, and two? Yep. So six plus four plus your mod, which is a plus two. 12 damage. You have killed it. Do you kill it to death? Yes, I do. I'm okay. not going to knock it out. <laughs> you you, uh, you maul it all the way to death with your claws. Okay. And wow. it's a dead fish person. I mean, he is a bear. And bears eat fish. So it's just a circle of life. <laughs> okay. Alright. Silric, there's one still standing. What do you do? I'm going to do frostbite. Okay. You want to use frostbite. They admit to make a constitution saving throw? A DC 15 constitution saving throw. Oh, that is not going to be a save. So they are going to take the damage. What do they take? 2d6 cold damage. And they have disadvantage on their next weapon attack roll for the end of its next turn. So go ahead and roll me 2d6s. Oh, 
Dang. You deal this guy 10 damage with a frostbite. This, like, cold icy stuff comes out. He stumbles back, all frosty, and he's going to have disadvantage on his next attack roll. And now it is your turn, Keltar. He mauls people. I just knocked him out. You're a paladin. If you feel like Paylor wouldn't want you to Gosh. kill these guys, then you shouldn't. So do you. I just don't like it. <laughs> you don't have to kill people. I'm not. What am I fighting now? Another one of these guys. The one that he just shot with frost. Great sword. Yeah, okay. Again. Go ahead and make the attack roll. D20. Natural 20. <laughs> and I'm gonna not kill him. <laughs> Here. Eli. <laughs> Let's see how you don't kill this guy. Okay. 16 damage. 16 damage on a crit. How do you knock him out? With the hilt of your sword again? The great sword's like this gigantic sword yeah. that's flat, and then it's got mm-hmm. like a smaller handle. Mm-hmm. Okay. You're going to slap him with the flat side of your <laughs> sword? And <laughs> You're going to slap him with... <laughs> uh, I guess baseball style yeah, again. Like, like a cricket bat. Just oh, my God. <laughs> Uh, there's a and this game is gruesome. <laughs> there's a, you did. Oh, I, didn't, you I, didn't, up to I didn't remember it being this much about war last time. You have a great sword. You use it and you bonk him hard in the back of the head. He goes down, and there are no more enemies around you right this minute. Awesome. Let's go to the Candle King. Say we've done it. What? Uh, Everybody, break all your things. Put them in the water. I'll never find them. <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> Can I, turn, I want to turn back into an elf. You just turn back. Why did you only knock them out? They're just going to come back and kill us. Yeah, sure. Right, yeah, find them to- again. Totally. Okay, awesome. let's just stop arguing and find out a plan. <laughs> I say we go into the cave. Yeah, so you can knock them all out. I'm about to knock whoa, somebody whoa, else out whoa. if you don't stop arguing. Let's just go. <laughs> Please. Please, no infighting. Please. None of this. It's candle Please. bells. It's candle bells. <laughs> Please. So are you guys going to go on into the cave then? Yep, I'm going to sneak into the cave. Okay, go ahead and give me a stealth check. 23. 23. Okay, are you sneaking as well? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Four. That's not good. That's a seven from you. Uh, Silric, or I'm sorry, uh, Keltar, I'm going to need a stealth check from you. Clank, clank. With disadvantage, so roll me that d20 two times. Oh, gosh. Right, that, six. That one's a third six. That's a six. It's a six. And a natural one. Oh, no. <laughs> So the three of you make your way inside the cavern. Along the way, uh, Tolkien, did you say you were wanting to cast a spell? Spider climb. Spider climb. So what is your plan to do with that? Climb up the side of the wall and shoot my bow. So you're climbing up the side of the wall. Right now, you don't see anyone that needs to be shot. Silric, you're sneaking along and things are going pretty well. Keltar, you're just walking. You're good. Pretty much it. Clank, clank, clank. Clank, clank, clank. Clank. Here goes Caltargo. You're not paying attention, and Silric is kind of going slow and sneaking, and you just walk right on in like you own the place. And uh, you just keep walking up, walking up, walking up, and you trip right on a loose stone. And when you do, you smack the ground. When you smack the ground, it sounds like someone knocked over an entire china cabinet. It rings off the walls in there, and uh, it just like there's just this loud clang that just reverberates off of all the walls. This is because of your natural one, and everybody just stops, and for a moment, it's very silent. You just hear kind of a drip, drip of water somewhere deep inside the cave, and then you hear a great booming voice come from deeper inside the cave, calling out toward the three of you. Who goes there? I know who it is. 
Was Did you say that? Candle King's brother. What's his name? I don't know. His don't name remember. is Tarkin. Hi. <laughs> you don't see anyone. It's coming from far down the cave. Do we see sound waves? You see light. <laughs> we see sound waves. The cave turns up ahead. Okay. Tolkus, if you want, you can kind of try to sneak up on the ceiling and look in there. I'm going to go to the corner and look in. Okay. You look inside, and there is a room that is lit with these strange ambient blue lights. It's sort of like a luminescence, not like a candle, but like, like a, something glowing. You see these large blue luminescent mushrooms growing on the walls, like these like big, weird-looking. They almost look like jellyfish. And you see a very large seat. I guess you could say it's like a throne, but it doesn't look like a throne. It, it, it just looks like a very large chair, a comfortable chair that seems to be carved out of an enormous conch shell, like larger than a house. And seated on it is a giant, literally a giant, dozens of feet tall. This man is enormous. He has a long gray and like almost like a deep blue beard. It's so gray. He is wearing gray and blue robes. Uh, he has pieces of shells and like sea creatures it looks like tangled up in his beard uh, and like chunks of coral and barnacles and stuff like that he has bright blue eyes and leaning against his chair is this enormous staff covered in barnacles with a long sharp blade on the end of it and the moment that you peer your head around he says I can see you small Skittering on the roof. Does he have any metal on him? Metal? He doesn't seem to. It seems to be just cloth and shell and stuff like that. The only thing metal you can see is is maybe his uh, staff, but he's not holding it. Come, you have nothing to fear from me, child of Monumi. I don't go in. You two hear this as well. I'll say we stay back and see where this is going. What did you say the guy's name was? Tarkin. Hey, Tarkin, I got a bell for you real fast. <laughs> I would like to show you. are not in there. Or do you get up and go in? I want to be like Tarkin. You have invaded my home. Come, speak with me, child of mine. Are you alone? I ain't telling you nothing. Why so hustle? Because you're trying to ruin candle bells. Oh, goodness. Please. Enough of this. Come, tell me what you've come to say. We have something for you. Actually, we have three something. This human just appears. We have something for you. <laughs> oh, so you are not alone. Oh. Welcome, child of Monumi. Are you a son of Paylor? What's that mean? You're a human. Paladin. Yes. Are you a son of Paylor? Sure. Yes. <laughs> are you always this insufferable? Yes. <laughs> Sorry. What do you do, Silric? So I just walk in beside them. Well, he's up on the ceiling still. I walk in beside him. <laughs> okay. So, Silric and Keltar, you have walked in, and like I said, in front of you is this giant. He is towering above you. Okay. And he is kind of leaning forward, looking down at you, and he says, So you think I just want to ruin Candlebells? No, you just want to do it because you're jealous of your brother, because he has more power than you, and you know it. Wow. And you're also jealous because you oh, have he no... Kills you. You... He kills you so hard. I'm just kidding. He looks at you with a glaring stare. Shut up! 
How dare you? Have you come here only to insult me? No. Then why have you come? We were sent to you by your brother. We don't want to hurt you, we just want to show you something. Which I have many brothers. Pretty sure you can guess, guessing by the time of year. I assume you speak of the Candle King. You don't have to mock him, but yes. I do have to mock him. Might I ask, why do you not like your brother or end candle bells? I do not have time to explain the history of my family and the foolishness. Is that why you've come here, elves, human, children of Monomi, to ask me why I don't like my big brother? We just came to find out why and put an end to it. I'm afraid you're not going to be able to put an end to it, child of Monomi. I pull out my bell and I start ringing it. You just pull out the bell and start ringing it? Okay then, if you're not going to listen, clang, clang. Okay. He pulls out his bell, this large silver bell, and he starts ringing it. When he does, everything just sort of stops. The dripping stops. The uh, the movement stops. The only thing that is happening is the bell is still ringing, even though you're not ringing it anymore. You have kind of frozen. And as you have, there seems to be a opening that appears in the middle of the floor in front of you all. Before Tarkin has a chance to react, you see him quickly, when you begin to ring the bell, reach over toward his staff. This light appears in the middle of the floor, and it starts to turn and spin like a funnel. And you are all sucked down into this funnel of light, like a drain slurped down through this drain of light. You're all just... And suddenly, you are somewhere else. There are four of you, standing side by side, including Tarkin. Now, he appears to be about the same size as the three of you. Maybe a little taller, you know, about seven feet tall. But, you know, not unlike a figure you would have, could have seen on Manumi. He still has the same robe, the bluish-gray beard, the light blue eyes, the barnacles, and all that stuff. And he is holding his staff. But you're not in the cave anymore. Instead, you are in what appears to be some sort of large, rustic-looking cabin. It's all... Like fresh carved wood style. Uh, there is candlelight around the house. And you are in a big, large, what seems to be kind of like a den. Like Think like a big open living room, right? But there's no furniture around. Instead, there's just this huge animal pelt across the floor. It's either from like the biggest bear that ever lived or something like that. It's a big, thick brown fur pelt just stretched out across this wooden floor. And rolling around on this wooden floor on the bear pelt, and kind of running around back and forth are eight young boys. They all look sort of similar in age, probably within a, a year or two of one another. They have varying degrees of colored hair. <laughs> you got one with red hair, one with blue hair, one with golden hair. I mean, it's just kind of crazy. They're just sort of a mosh of eight different young boys. And they are running back and forth, yelling out and playing. There's a large roaring fireplace, high ceilings above you. The big pelt rug from the Titanic Beast, whatever it was. And these boys have in their hands what seemed to appear to be like wooden swords, wooden staffs, and some have like wooden wands. And they seem to be running around playing some sort of a game where they are like warriors and sages and mages and soldiers and emulating a battle. What do you do? I look up to them and I say, don't kill your opponents, just knock them out. <laughs> You're standing in the room with them, and they seem completely un- none the wiser that you're there. 
Guys, I've seen a movie like this. Oh my god. <laughs> what have you done? Tarkin says, turning to the three of you. I came here to make you remember. Remember what? You wouldn't do it willingly, so you had to do it by force. And we had to make you remember. I can remember this just fine. I didn't need your help. Who sent you? My brother. The Candle King, you say? He already told you. So this is his doing? Yes. Take me back. I don't know how. Where's the bell? You don't have it. It's not in your hands. How do we get back? You have to wait until the memory's over. About this time, you hear like sort of a peak come and all these guys, these, these boys running around. They're just, you know, like they're sword fighting. They're calling things out. They're just, they're just having a big time. Some of them are rolling around on the floor fighting. About that time, two of them kind of run around to where you guys are, just a couple feet in front of you. They stop short looking at each other. One, slightly taller than the other, he has golden hair, almost with a reddish tint to it. It's so golden. And the other one has like a darker hair with almost a slightly bluish hint, like like a bluish deep gray. The one with the golden red hair, he is holding a staff in his hand. And the one with the bluish gray hair, the shorter one, he appears to be a little, a little bit thinner, maybe a little bit weaker. He is holding a wand in his hand. The young one with the wand in his hand, he points it forward and he says, I'm going to blast you. And as he says that, the one with the, the staff, he chuckles, looking over at the younger one. And he holds his staff aloft, exclaiming, Your magic has no power over me, weakling. And he jumps forward with a twirl, and his wooden staff grows into the shape of a large wooden hammer. And he spins around and crashes the hammer into the side of the small boy. And when he does, the smaller one hits the ground with a cry and immediately begins to call out and cry. And when he does that, all the brothers stop, and they turn, and they look at him. And you hear the sound of footsteps running towards you. And a tall figure runs into the room. This figure, he's very tall. He's probably eight feet tall in the room with you guys. He's dressed in a long robe of white and gold. His golden hair and beard almost seem to glimmer in the light of the fireplace. He steps quickly over to the two boys who you guys have pieced together. That the one is Tarkin. I mean, he's got the same color hair, that grayish blue hair. But he looks much smaller and much weaker. He is on the ground whimpering and crying his hand over his ribs while his brother stands over him with a hammer that he has made in his hand. The man runs forward. He steps over and kneels down. I see the game has taken a turn, has it? Tell me. Tell me what happened to Tarkin. Trying his best to hold back his tears, the young child Tarkin sits up. It was... It was... It was Klaus, father. He, he used his magic against me and hit me with his wooden hammer. Father leans down, taking Tarkin by the hand. Why did you not defend yourself, Tarkin? For you also have magic of your own, do you not? Tarkin looks down at the floor. There are eight boys in all. Tarkin and seven others. One whose name you now know is Klaus. The one who hit him with the hammer. He lowers his eyes as his brothers are all looking at him. I do, father, but it's just a game. See? And he holds up his wooden toy wand. I did not want to hurt Klaus or any of my brothers. We were only meant to to play pretend. At that moment, the fire in the room burns bright. And when it does, the scene 
takes on a slightly different look. It almost looks hazy, kind of like you're looking through a glass window or something. It's weird. You know, it's kind of weird anyway. You're in a dream or something. You're seeing this vision. But now the room gets like it's like the fire burns bright and there's almost like this golden sheen over everything. When that happens, the boy Klaus, the golden red-haired boy, steps forward and he says, I'm sorry, Father. I just got a little excited, I suppose. I never meant to hurt my baby brother, whom I love so dearly. I do hope you'll forgive me, Tarkin. He reaches a hand forward to his brother. Then the light dims back to normal. The golden sheen disappears. And Tarkin gets up, crying now, weeping openly, turns and runs out of the room, not looking back. When he does, his father, with a sigh, stands up. (sighs) Now, boys, let us not forget. This is the season of candle bells. Tonight, we shall all deliver the gifts to the children of Kurtz's village, where they anxiously await. This is a time of togetherness and selflessness, and we should all do well to remember that. And as he says that, the memory slows and stops, like a video on pause, and all the color drains from it, and it's just a gray, but you're still here. And the three of you turn, and you see Tarkin standing there, and he looks upset. This is... I do not... I do not remember this. Klaus apologized? I recall... No, I... I remember him mocking me. Calling me weak. That's why I... That's why I ran from the room. Isn't it? I... I don't understand. He wanders over toward his brothers and he kind of walks through looking at them and he pauses, especially in front of his dad. This tall, gold, like when I say golden hair, I don't mean like blonde. I mean, it looks like his hair is made out of gold. It looks like it's literally made and woven from gold and his clothing. They are majestic. In fact, if you were to step close enough to him and Tarkin does and you two may follow with him, You notice now when you get close, there is some sort of a thin crown on his head. Tarkin pauses, just staring into the eyes of his father. And then he wanders through looking again. And as he does, Keltar, roll me a perception check. Actually, all of you roll me a perception check. So all of you guys roll me a d20. I got a 12. I got a 6. Nat 20. Natural 20. Okay, with a nat 20, Silric, as Tarkin is walking through the room, Silric, you happen to look over and you see on the hearth above the fireplace there hangs a silver bell much like the one that was just rang by your friend Keltar I run over there and get it (laughs) (laughs) you go over to it and uh, you can reach it you reach up you grab it and you pull it down doesn't seem to do anything in your hand It, it does look different from the rest of the room the rest of the room is all grayed out this is a pure silver it looks different but it doesn't do anything when you have it will you do Run back and give it to Kiltar. He walks up to you and he is holding a bell out to you. Okay. You take it? Yes. All right, you take the bell in your hand. You try to ring it. I want to do like the kid does in uh, Polar Express where he puts it up to his ear and he just rings it. Uh, okay. You ring it up next to your ear and it starts ringing clear and bright. And as it does, uh, similar to the way that you came, things kind of slow down. But this time you don't get sucked into like this light funnel. There's just kind of a shimmer 
around the room, kind of like uh, heat over top of blacktop, how like the, the you look through and it's like a shimmering heat. It's kind of like that all around you guys. It doesn't get hot. It's just the shimmer. And the room fades back into the enormous cavern. And there you are, back in Tarkin's cavern. But he, like before, is smaller, your size. And he is standing there looking around, and he looks at the three of you, and he says, I suppose you all saw that. Yes, we did. I guess nothing is private anymore. I suppose this was supposed to turn me around somehow. How is this supposed to make me (laughs) forgive my brother? Because he apologized, even though I do not remember it. I remember hateful words. But something is not right. Is this the only spell he sent? No. No, there's more. Yeah. More memories. Mm-hmm. We've come this far, I suppose. I would like to see what my brother wants to show me. What do you have? Holly. You pull out the bow of Holly. What are you to do with this? I go next. And what do you have? This candy cane. Cane of candy. You show it to him. And what are you to do with this? And then I break it. You just take it and break it? Yep. Whoosh. You break the cane. It's a red and white cane. It's, it's you know, like I said, it's not too huge. When you do, this sparkling dust comes like flying out of both ends that you broke off. Like, whoosh, it's just pouring out of it. And it comes out like a cyclone and just comes all around you guys. And suddenly you're wrapped up in this like peppermint sparkling cyclone <laughs> of, this is so weird. of dust. And it just wraps you all up. And you kind of cover your eyes and... You know, it doesn't choke you up or anything, but it's it's filling your sight, it's filling your lungs, it's filling you all around you completely, and there's just a whirlwind of this dust, and then just as quickly as it came and it surrounded you, it is gone, it disperses. And when it disperses, you may not know it, because you may have never been here, but you are in Kurtza Village, a small, cold village far north over in the mountains near Dimmerhold. It's a small village that is actually the origin of the legend of the Candle King and of Candle Bells, or at least so you've always heard. And You guys have probably always wanted to go visit but never have been able to, you know, being kids. But you're here. It is cold out. But you're not. You can feel the cold, but it doesn't, it doesn't bother you. You know what I'm saying? It's weird. Because, again, you're in some kind of a memory. Snow is all over the ground. There are all these little buildings. I don't know if you guys know who Thomas Kincaid is, like the artist, but he makes like these beautiful paintings of houses. Think like a Christmas village, you know? Just little cottages and little homes covered in snow all over the place. It's just beautiful, and it's pristine, and it's a starry sky above you, and you can feel it in the air. It's candle bells. And Tarkin looks around, You can tell now he's kind of curiously looking around, trying to find out what's going on. It's the dead of night. All is quiet. That isn't until all of a sudden when you see someone dart across an alleyway up above you. What do you do? What was that? Tarkin takes off walking in that direction. We follow follow him. Do you follow him? Yes. (laughs) Oh, my my God. Yes, I do. I follow very closely. (laughs) You all go up there. You you quickly make your way up to the edge. and, And as you do, you get up there just in time to see there are a number of 
people, not a lot, but a few handful of people moving around, going from house to house. You see a man going over here and a young man going over here. And you can tell now because you've seen them, you've seen them when they were younger, different colored hairs, similar age, boys, now young men look to be maybe in their late teen years, maybe a little older, approaching adulthood. These young men are moving quietly through Kurtzel Village, going from house to house and delivering something. They go in with some small packages and they leave with nothing. And again, they don't notice you. And you see one going to a house nearby you carrying a tall package that looks like some sort of, you can tell it just the way it is. It's, it's a sled. Uh, you see someone going into another side and they've got a basket and you can smell fresh baked bread in it and different things going from house to house, cookies. And you see there's a little, at every home, there's a window open or the door open, cracked, and there's a candle lit in the window. They go inside, they leave the package, they snuff out the candle and they leave. You see this again and again and then as you're following Tarkin, Tarkin is just kind of wondering and he looks like he's looking for something. Like he knows where he is and he immediately falls into this way of someone who's done this a dozen times or not a dozen, hundreds of times. You know, it's like, say, if you moved away and you've gone back home or maybe you go visit your grandparents and you haven't been there for a few months or whatever, but you know where everything is. You know where the things are in the barn or you know where you know where all the things are in the house. You know where the silverware drawer is. You know where they keep the snacks. You know this, you know that. That's how it is for Tarkin. He falls back into this town and he is wandering from place to place and it's like he knows exactly where he is. And you notice you haven't seen young Tarkin. Nor have you seen young Klaus. But as you turn a corner up ahead, you see two figures standing outside one particular cottage home, and they seem to be having a heated discussion. One, slightly shorter, dark gray and blue hair, a little thinner. One taller, broad-shouldered, now his uh, reddish golden hair, a little longer hanging down around his ears, and he even has the showings of a small, short, reddish golden beard growing on his face now. You can hear his laughter as you're all approaching. But the look on Tarkin's face is one of displeasure. And young Tarkin and young Klaus are having a heated discussion as the four of you draw near. The older Tarkin, the one with you, he's already made his way up there and he's standing right nearby. And you all catch up to him. And right as you catch up to him, and it sounds like the voices between Klaus and Tarkin, even though Klaus is smiling the whole time, get louder and louder, but like a loud whisper, you know, like, What are you doing? Just listen to me. You need to just do what I tell you to do. This is foolish. Right when you get up next to him, there is this weird thing again. It gets brighter out here. Again, like you're looking through a window. It's like this golden sheen about the air. It's just, it's kind of hazy. It's weird. And you notice it all at once. And when you do, you hear Klaus speak. Not quietly whispering, not sneaking like everyone else. But in the same voice as before. A clear, loud voice. My dear brother, as much as I would love for you to assist me in actually delivering the gifts, it is vital that you remain outside. We need someone brave like you to keep the watch in case some villain were to come along and cause trouble on a night like this. And then that sheen fades. The lights dim again. And why don't you all, this time, you have a choice. Either give me a perception check or an insight check. Perception. Perception. Insight. Insight. 
I think I want to do perception. Okay. I got a nine plus one. Eighteen. Eighteen, and that's insight? Fourteen. Fourteen perception, eighteen insight. Okay. Wow. You don't notice anything, Keltar. Silric, with a fourteen perception, you notice something, and it weirds you out for a second. When you get up close and you hear these words and you see this haze, you notice that the mouth moving of Klaus does not match the words that you're hearing. And you, with your 18 insight, you get the distinct feeling that with the hazy light, with the change in the voice, with all of that, the voice, like, it doesn't even sound right. It sounds like someone reading a script. That's what you kind of feel like. The words you're hearing when the haze changes do not sound real. It sounds like someone reading a script. That's what you notice. Then, Klaus turns on a heel and steps inside, leaving the younger Tarkin standing outside, his eyes looking downward, frustrated, upset, angry. He seems right on the precipice of just getting very angry. Meanwhile, your Tarkin, the one that's with you, stands by a few feet off, watching him, just waiting. And you look at him as well, Tolkus. And if you could describe the way he looks, it's tense and afraid, like something's about to happen. Now, Tarkin, the young Tarkin, I would also, should also point out, is holding a large bag, seemingly, of gifts. You know, like Candle King's bag or Santa Claus. As you're standing there waiting, you see Tarkin, the young one, tapping his foot, bouncing, and all at once, with a huff, he heads inside. He opens the door. He steps into the cottage. When he does, you see the adult Tarkin raise a hand almost as if to stop him, and then he pulls his hand back. And then you all feel this chill. And something appears in front of the doorway. Something unnatural. It's like a shadow. A dark, heavy, large shadow. It looks sort of humanoid, but wider and taller. It, it, you know, it's got like what you would imagine the silhouette of like a head and shoulders, but the shoulders come up so high and are so wide. It looks like a hulking figure of a man. But there's nothing there, just this shadow. You hear Tarkin call out, No! And when he does, the thing turns and looks at the four of you. And it has red eyes. I'm out. Well, let's roll initiative. Here we go again. Oh, oh boy. <laughs> Let me knock him out real fast. <laughs> I got a five. Okay. Nine. Fourteen. So the first thing, Tarkin grabs his staff holding it up, and he says, Humbug. And this thing moves in on you guys, and it comes straight for him. Uh, it swoops down toward him, and you see Tarkin kind of shrinking back away from it, and two like black shadowy arms that look incredibly long, like way too long, go way up and then down onto his shoulders, like grab him, and it's going to try and use this thing. When he touches it, you hear Tarkin cry out, Oh, my soul. Yes, he did. I rolled 18. I rolled three sixes and a five on 46s. That is one point away from maximum damage. Uh, so that's 18, 23 damage. Good wow. Night. That's a lot of damage. That's a lot of damage. Oh, wow. And you hear a <gasps> come out from Tarkin as you see the shadow, like, sinking down. You can see, like, darkness taking on, like, his shoulders are becoming, like, 
the type of shadow that this thing is made out of. Oh, no. oh my gosh. And it looks up toward the three of you, and you all need to make me a wisdom saving throw. I got a nat 20, y'all. Oh, you better thank the Lord. I got a 17. Thank you, Lord, for the nat 20. I got a 15. So you all succeed this time. Yes. Oh, no, that's that's not a good oh, thing gosh. to say. It is your turn, Silric. What does it have to be? It does. What do you do? Don't know at this point. Um, Can I attack it? It's a shadow. You, you should. You should try. <laughs> you know, I don't know if it's going to work or what's going to happen, but I will tell you this: a lot of time, magic is good for yeah, things like this. I'm going to use magic, but should I use cantrips? I would go um, for full-on yeah. spells right now. I'm going to do witch bolt. Okay. That what level? Level one, two, or three? Three, I guess. Okay. I need an attack roll. Tell a little prayer for you. Oh. <laughs> Stop. Let me guess. That one. That one. Oh, that's yes. a natural one. We're all dead. We're dead. Your witch bolt at level three does 3d12 damage. Uh, you cast it. But when you do, it makes eye contact you with that red flash of its vision. And your witch bolt goes awry. I'll tell you what I'm going to do, just to make this fair. I'm going to roll a d6. One through three is Levi. Four through six is Eli. It's a six. So, Eli, you're going to take, not not the full brunt of it, but you're going to take half damage. So I need you to roll me 3d12s. 27. Half of that rounded down. So 26, 13. You take 13 damage. Yeah. I'm so sorry. My rolls are, like, uneven. Yeah. Can you give me inspiration? Uh, you know what? I will give you inspiration. No, no. It's I will okay. give you inspiration because in spite of your friends not wanting to, to, because of your God wanting you not to kill people, you smack someone with the side of your greatsword. So I'll have, you have inspiration. You can catch that in for advantage on an attack roll. Can I have or inspiration anything. for being bad at this game? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, there are things that you can do to give yourself advantage. I cannot believe. Mm, I did not so well. you gave me inspiration? Yep, you have inspiration. Okay, it is your turn, Polkus. Would call lightning hit him too? So you want to try and call lightning? Yep, third level. So you start calling down an old storm. You all hear thunder as a cloud rolls up above you guys. Mm-hmm. How do you? What do you do? Like, how do? You, what do you do to make that I happen? I take my staff. Mm-hmm. And I hit it in the ground. Okay. And a blue light shoots out of the sapphire on the top. Oh. Just makes a big storm. Red. Okay, so a blue light shoots up and it causes this storm cloud to appear. And moments after this happens, you guys feel that sort of static, like your hair sticking up on the back of your neck. And a lightning bolt just crashes down right behind this shadowy thing. And you, let's see, what does he need to do? He has to, he has to make a dexterity saving throw. Okay. It's close. No cigar. 13. So he fails. Uh, so since he failed, he is going to take 3d10 lightning damage. A 8, a 6, and an 8. Wow. So that's 16 plus 6 is 22. Dang. That is a big old hit. Okay. So lightning bolt strikes in this thing. And when it does, you guys hear this sort of otherworldly shriek in your ears. And now it is your turn, Keltar. What you going to do? So I could use that move. Was it like, what was it, Divine Sense? Yeah. The only bad thing about using your Divine Sense now is that it takes an action. So if you use that now, you won't be able to do an attack this turn. Um, but why don't you just make me a religion check? Eight, nine, ten. Okay. 
You think this thing is evil, pure evil, evil incarnate. Yes. Utter wickedness. It must be banished from this realm. All realms. Yes. So, what do you do? I want to use one of my spells. Okay, which one? Want to use one of your smite spells? I want to do thunderous smite. So you cast a bonus action and you cast thunderous smite. So the next time you deal, next time you deal damage, you do an attack. It deals an extra two d six thunder damage. So if you want to hit him first, you got to roll me an attack roll one d twenty. So you're gonna run up and try and slash this thing. Oh, I actually do want to take my sword and actually use it as a sword. Is it two sided like double sided? Yes, double yes, oh. double edged. Okay. I want it to look like an anime sword. I forgot to say that. Like okay. them, them gigantic swords where it's okay. got a point. Okay. Uh-huh. I want to take it two hands with the blade behind me. Okay. Run up, slash it like this, mm-hmm. and then it sounds like I've done a boom clap, like okay. a thunder clap. Well, you got to hit it. Roll me, a, roll me a d20 to see if you hit it. Wow, that was a lot. Okay. <laughs> I got a six. For your sword? It's a plus seven, so that's a 13. That yes. meets. Okay. That means you hit it. I'm just imagining this all anime style like Naruto. <laughs> so here's what I need. I need 2d6 for the sword okay. and 2d6 for Thunderous Smite. Okay, 2d6 is for the sword. Okay. Five and one, so that's a six. Six plus your mod is a plus four, so that's ten slashing damage. And then I do this, a one and a four. Okay, so that's five. Plus my spell thingy. My uh, spell I don't think attack. you had your spell attack to it. Hold on. And there's a really loud sound, and it has to succeed on a strength save. No, it does not. It fails because it has a negative strength. It actually gets pushed back 10 feet from Tarkin, so that's really cool. So when you slash it, it actually sends it back flying away from Tarkin. Somehow, it doesn't seem to be quite as bad as you thought it would be. It gets knocked back. It looks angry. Wouldn't you be? It comes swooping down toward you, Keltar. Hey, guys. We're in a tight spot. (laughs) <laughs> I need you to uh, sit there and take this damage. Awesome. Okay. 25. Does that hit your armor class? My armor class is 80. You take 20 psychic damage. I'm going to go down 20. <laughs> 20 damage. Also, you too. Wisdom save. So what? Now I'm at 29. Awesome. Great. Wonderful. 14. I'm not doing great, as you can tell. That meets. So you're okay. Wisdom saving throw? Yeah, you did not meet it. So you're actually going to take a little bit of damage. 10 psychic damage. Yowza. (laughs) Also, you need to, you now have to make a melee weapon attack against um, him. You feel suddenly compelled. You're like shaken by this fear, and you look over and you see his eyes turn red like the monsters, like the creatures. Oh, God. He draws his quarterstaff and walks towards you holding it aloft. Got an 18. Are you kidding? No, I'm not. You're My killing me. Goodness gracious. He first was witch bolt. Well, it's okay. It- Go ahead and roll this. Four, but he has a minus two to damage. So you take two damage. <laughs> Could have been a lot worse. Could have been a witch bolt. <laughs> okay, so now it is your turn, Silric. Okay, I'm gonna do a lightning bolt. Lightning bolt. Okay, and he needs to make a dexterity saving throw. What does that look like to you? One. You roll a natural one on that lightning bolt save. <laughs> That means you're going to roll 16 d6s. Oh my gosh. So let's see how many we can come so up with. Many. Is that how much damage he does? Yeah. 17, 22, 27, 32, 35, 39, 40, 41, 45, 48, 51, 53, 56, 59. Well, he does have resistance to lightning damage. 
which means he actually only takes half of that. What? But it's still enough. Yay! You actually do enough. Your lightning bolt strikes through its chest. And when it does, you're this... And it just burns out from that hole and just to ashes and disappears. Well, our spot ain't that tight no more. <laughs> As that happens, Tarkin says, You destroyed the humbug. That, that's not... What is, what is happening? And then the scene goes weird. It starts like glitching, kind of like a... Um, you know, like a record that's skipping. You see, like, the door, like, open and then shut and open and then shut. And, like, things are going weird. And, like, it's, like people are, like, moving fast forward around you. And, and weird stuff is happening. You guys are just kind of standing there watching as this is all going on. And there's flashes of, of different things. And then things, like, stop. And you hear a voice call out from inside the house. The house where young Tarkin and young Klaus went. You hear a... And there's a flash of fire that, like, writes up the house, and you hear someone yell, like, screaming. And then, like, the whole scene goes crazy again, fast-forwarding. And then, boom, you're not in Kurtzville Village anymore. You're back inside that same cabin you were in, in the previous memory. And now there are not a bunch of children standing around, but there are eight men. And they are circling around, and in the middle, there's a chair... And there's one figure sitting there with his face in his hands, uh, sort of his, his face, his hands like over the side of his head, like his fingers up in his hair, and he's like rubbing his temples and pulling at his hair. And standing in front of him is one of his other brothers. This one has green hair, strangely enough. And now that you look, there's only seven of them. Klaus doesn't seem to be in the mix. Klaus is standing off to one side, leaning against the wall. And the brother standing over him is yelling, and he's saying very accusatory things like, Someone could have been hurt. Children could have been hurt. If you just remained outside, as Klaus asked, none of this would have happened. You should be thankful that we were there to help you. Well, there's no telling what might have happened to the child. And Tarkin is just pulling at his hair and kind of rocking back and forth. And the scene freezes and turns gray. And the older Tarkin steps forward and walks over and is just looking down at himself on that chair. Something is wrong. He turns and looks at the three of you. Something is very wrong. Have you not sensed it? Yes. Yes? Yes. What have you sensed? It looks like he was just reading something, not actually talking. I'm beginning to think this is less of a memory and more of a stage play. You asked me why I have such a problem, such hatred, such distaste for my brother. Perhaps you're beginning to see it. These jovial words of kindness that you keep hearing, those are not his words. And that humbug, that shadow of hatred, it recognized us being there. That was real. That thing came into that house I remembered like it was yesterday. I went in to deliver the gifts as my father had instructed, as we all were meant to do at first. <sighs> Perhaps we should go home. Where is the cane? I don't know. How do we leave? Like I said, we have to wait until the memory fades away and then we go back like we did last time with the bell. 
Do you have the cane? Do you have nothing? What do you have? You go looking. You actually do. You have a cane. It's in your pocket. It's a small one. Pull it out. Break it. And just like before, the whirlwind of dust and peppermint sort of wraps you guys up and you arrive back inside the cave. Now here, Tarkin turns to the three of you. Take a moment if you must and heal your wounds, children. Now, if you guys take some time, you heal yourselves up, you patch your wounds, you're feeling better. He turns to you all. So I assume, Tolkis, you have one more spell for me. Yes. Before we venture out into the great unknown once more, perhaps you'd like to know a bit of my side of the story. Sure. Why do I, as you said, want to destroy candle bells? <laughs> I don't want to destroy candle bells, not as it should be. My father, now he, he was a good man. He was kind. He was jovial. And he, he is actually from your world. From Monomy. You saw him there in the memory, remember? Yes, he was a good man. He taught us to be good. And since my mother was gone, he raised myself and my seven brothers. And every Kendall Bell's night, his favorite night of the year, we would go to his favorite village, Cursor Village, where we would spend the whole evening delivering gifts to the children. It was a family tradition. But my father is gone. He is gone. And after he left, my brother Klaus became obsessed with him, his image. He wanted to, he wanted to be Kultarn the Righteous. But he wasn't. And he never would be. So, one by one, he convinced my brethren to let him take over Candlebell's. Father was gone. We all had our own duties, mine or the sea, and my brothers in their respective places at their respective times. And he insisted that father would want him to take Candlebell's. And so he fancied himself a king, like my father. And he began to call himself the Candle King. But I never saw Klaus through those rose-colored glasses. And he was cruel to me. And he took more from me than anyone ever has. But he is my brother. So let's see this final memory, shall we? Once more. You pull out the bow of holly. You hold it in your hands, and when you do, you feel this glowing energy come out from your palms into the holly, and it actually grows into a sprig of mistletoe. So what do you do? I hold it over my head. You reach up, and you hold the mistletoe over your head. When you do, you hear this weird little giggle, and a pixie appears right next to you. She flits over to where you are. She kisses you on the cheek. And when she does, this weird sensation kind of covers your body like faith dust and pixie dust, and you all start flying. 
you all start levitating off of the ground, floating up, and above you appears this funnel of light, much like the one you got sucked down into earlier. It's now above you, and it starts turning, and the four of you get sucked up into this swirling funnel of light flying upward. You fly up, 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 up into the light, and you light softly down on the warm sand. It's light out. And you are right outside in the same place that you were when you first appeared down here on the southern beach when the Candle King sent you three down here. But it's warm out. The sun is out. And you're looking around. There's a warm wind blowing, kind of like there was when you got here earlier. And here's what you see. You see off to one side, kind of in the direction where the cove heads in, but not all the way over in the cove, still out on the long stretch of the beach. There is a... um, a figure, but you can't really see them. All you can see is kind of like their you know, naked calf and feet sticking out from under what looks like a large umbrella. It's like a big golden bell-shaped umbrella, like on the beach. And the way it's situated and where you're standing, you can't see who it is. You just see someone's feet sticking out from under it, obviously shading under this. Tarkin, standing next to you, looks palely forward at the scene. And you just hear him say, under his breath. Oh, no, Klaus. Not this. And then you hear a sort of bubbling sound, and you see the ocean start kind of rolling, moving as a figure rises up out of it, and he is this enormous giant. It's Tarkin. A long beard, but it's a little more well-kept. It's kind of like got this ring around the bottom, and it's brought together and tied up this silver, bluish ring. He's still got the, like, you know, starfish or whatever stuck in his beard. Uh, he's wearing the big robes, but the water just kind of rolls off of him, and as he does, it just he's just dried, you know, like it doesn't even affect him. And he steps forward, and the water does not rush up on the beach. It's like it comes up to a point and just stops and hits a wall. It doesn't approach the person lying down with the umbrella. And as he steps forward, he gets shorter and shorter until he is about the size that he is now, standing next to you. And this Tarkin that steps out of the ocean is a much younger and healthier vision than the one standing next to you. He looks happy. He's kind of got a grin and a light in his blue eyes as he walks out of the ocean and onto the beach and as he does, you see that uh, that golden bell umbrella kind of close up to one side and move over. And there is a woman lying there. She has long golden hair. It's braided and pulled back and draped over her shoulder this way. She's wearing a bathing suit. It's gold and silver, uh, striped. And uh, she is just lying in the shade of this bell umbrella that she's pushed to the side. As Tarkin approaches from the sea foam, Uh, Stepping forward, he kneels down beside her, and he kind of stretches out, laying down beside her in the sun, and they are just talking. You can hear them, but the Tarkin with you guys does not walk over there. He stays back. What do you guys do? Do you stay back with him, or do you go up there? I'm going to walk over there. You walk over there? Okay. What about you two? I'll go with him. Do you stay back, or do you go? I'll go. So the three of you approach, and um, you can hear Tarkin speaking. You hear him laugh. It's a very happy, sort of light, jovial laughter. He calls her Nessa, and they're just talking and about nothing. 
she laughs at all of his jokes. He leans back. They're just talking about and you know how everything's going. And finally, she says, "Oh, so are you excited about tonight?" And you see, like the look on his face change, as you're all staying close enough to hear now. No, tonight, no, I'm not excited. <laughs> no, uh, Klaus is. Klaus says what he wants. He'll be going alone tonight. And there's kind of a pause, and she says, "Oh, I, I didn't realize. Did you? Does that upset you? Are you not okay with that?" He says, "Well, my father, you know, he, he used to take us. We used to go." And deliver the gifts for candle bells, but now, now Klaus thinks it's, or should I say, the Candle King. He says it's his day now. And, well, my brethren, they're all fine with it. So who am I to stand in his way? She leans over and she uh, puts a hand on his hand, and she just kind of looks at him, gives him a supportive kind of smile, and he looks down, and. When that happens, you guys hear this weird noise. You hear what sounds like sort of a gushing wind and some sort of a weird, like, almost like a neighing sound, you know? And coming down from the sky above you all is this, like a cart without wheels, like a giant sled, right? But it's being pulled by some, these two things. They look like enormous elk, but made of clouds. Uh, they are just swooping down from over the top of the cliff above you guys and it swoops down and does a little circle and a twirl and Nessa kind of lets out a a laugh and claps as Klaus brings this thing in and uh, parks it right in front of him there is the sound of bells as he comes in landing and hops down with a flourish he's dressed in these tight riding robes gold and silver but he has a long golden robe around him his beard is longer now golden and red with the first signs of white starting to show up in there Uh, Nessa hops to her feet and is very happy to see Klaus he steps down Nessa, Nessa it's good to see you Owen, Tarkin and they just kind of look at each other for a moment and he says Nessa I am about to embark on my first solo candle bells journey but before I do I thought I would bring a gift special for you And he steps up, and um, he hands her this gift. The Tarkin that came with you all now has come up behind you all. He's close. And he is standing there. And the younger Tarkin stands from his feet and walks up. And he has a very angry look on his face. And you see yours just shaking his head, looking nervous and upset. And that's when there's a golden haze. The light shines, things get weird, it's bright, and you hear Klaus, Dear brother, you must understand, I only want what is best for the children of Kurtz's village and for all of Manumi. In the spirit of candle bells, can we not be at odds? But as he is saying this, you guys are watching, and it sounds like it's just this jovial brother, you all notice now that while these words are being basically played, Klaus walks up, grabs his brother by the shoulder and leans down and is whispering in his ear while these words are being played out loud for you all to hear. After he does that, he turns and uh, embraces Nessa, giving her a gift. They're looking at it. And the younger Tarkin begins to shake. He is standing there shaking. And you hear the older standing next to you whisper under his breath don't and in that moment two enormous 
pillars of water, just tornadoes of ocean water and coral and shells come crashing up out of the ocean and down on the Klaus's head. He is ripped up off of the sand and thrown into the sea and Tarkin dives in after him and is giant. He's gigantic immediately. He grabs his brother and holds him aloft and is yelling into his face and is threatening to kill him, to drown him, to take him to the depths of the sea where he'll never return. And Nessa is standing on the beach just crying out, begging him to stop. And Klaus doesn't raise a hand. He doesn't do anything. He just takes it. And after a few moments, Nessa screams out, her voice ringing like a bell. And Tarkin just snaps out of it. He drops his brother into the water. He turns and he wanders into the deep. And once he does, the scene turns gray. Wow. Well, now you've seen how I hurt my brother and his bride. But those were not his words. Don't you see, he doesn't care about candlebells. He doesn't care about the spirit of candlebells. All he cares about is the Candle King and his legacy. And he just wants everyone to love him. And that's why you're here. Because he can't stand the thought that I don't. I've hated him for this day. For hundreds of years. But now, I can see... He is not the one who drove Nessa away from me. I did that myself, didn't I? I suppose you three have succeeded. Perhaps we should give my brother a visit. Well, this was a train wreck. (laughs) Oh, that's good. Can't say he didn't deserve it. (laughs) Tarkin walks over to the umbrella that's set up that now you see it's clearly a large golden bell I mean you could tell before and the three of you you can obviously see that she's the queen of bells he's the candle king there is hanging over top of the edge of that umbrella there's a a sprig of mistletoe and he grabs it and takes it in his hand and he just crushes it and it runs red berries down his hand And when he does, you all are transported in a flash. There's no sort of showy. You're in the snow. You're outside the Candle Tower. And you smell the cookies and the rabbit stew and the hors d'oeuvres. And Tarkin slowly walks toward the door. You all step inside. And you see the Candle King, his back is turned to you. And as you step in, the sound of your footsteps reverberate and the warmth fills your bones. He turns, oh, oh, welcome, I see you. And he stops. Well, 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 Tarkin, I see you've returned with, uh, with the children. (laughs) That wasn't, um, it wasn't really supposed to, uh, I know that wasn't supposed to happen, brother, but I'm afraid that things have not gone exactly the way that you thought they would this night. You see the Candle King sort of um, reach over and place his hand on the, uh, the handle of that tall, candied 
staff that you can now see on the end has a large hammer head. I don't want any trouble, Tarkin. I only sent these children there to restore the, the spirit of candle bells. Isn't that right, children? Liar. <sighs> you didn't send us there to restore the spirit. You sent us there so that he would think you're cool because you can't stand one person not liking you. You don't care about candle bells. You're not the candle king. You just care about yourself. <laughs> I don't know. What is, what is this? What sort, what sort of lies have you been telling them, Tarkin? He's only told us the truth. It wasn't Tarkin who was telling the lies. It was you. Tarkin stands there as his, his eyes are kind of pointed downward. He finally looks up. Brother, I'm afraid the illusion has fallen at last. These children know the truth. How did our father intended for Kendall Bells to be? Kendall Bells was a time of joy. It was a time of love and being with those you love. Speaking of which, where is she? Where is Nessa? Hiding down south again. And you see Klaus just look crestfallen. And Tarkin steps forward to him. And you see Klaus like grip the hammer handle in his hand and you hear a sort of low sound coming from the chest of Natali, the Yule Cat, sitting nearby looking up at him. Klaus, I have come to say one thing to you. I'm sorry. Klaus looks confused for a moment. Uh, I, I don't... Just listen, brother. I have hated you for a long time. I blamed you for taking... <laughs> for taking Nessa from me. And that's not what happened. I drove Nessa away with my bitterness and my anger. And now, you're doing the same. Klaus, not everyone has to love you. And you don't have to do this by yourself. That's not what Father wanted. Don't you remember the memories you showed me? Don't, don't you remember the nights we would go and we would deliver the gifts? Afterward, we would gather with him and we would eat. And we would sing the, the candle bells hymns. The good ones. The carols. It can be like that again, you know. Klaus looks just taken aback. For the first time since you guys have seen him, he drops his head. Tarkin, I am... I've... I've... I'm... I'm sorry. I have driven all of my brethren away, and I've driven my own lovely wife away, and now here I am, and the only thing I have left is candle bells. Perhaps you're right. Children, what would you say to a trip to Kurtz's village? What if tonight you and I and my brother deliver some gifts? What would you say to that? Sure. I'd say yes. Let's go. Let's get it. <laughs> no. <laughs> yes. He lets out a big, hearty, jovial laugh. Tarkin walks up and he puts a hand on his shoulder. Klaus, your, <laughs> your intentions were sour. But I suppose I must thank you. Thank you for sending these three boys, these children, 
They have shown me something I did not know I could have again. Joy. Let us bring joy to the world tonight, should we? And with that, they turn. You all step outside the candle tower, and outside there is an enormous sled. It's gold and silver, and in the back there is a gigantic bag filled with gifts for the children, and eight gigantic elk made of clouds and snow. As you all climb in and take off down the mountain toward Kurtzel Village, that is where we say Merry Candlebells to all and to all a good night. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Joy to the world. And that is the end <laughs> the of the Candlebells has come. The Candlebell special. We wish you a Merry Candlebells. Sorry. It's our Candlebell special this year. Don't worry. In Happy t- candlebells. In, t- in two months, we'll have a blooper reel coming out from all the stuff that Paul had to cut out of this. <laughs> It'll be two hilarious. hours long. Uh, hope you guys uh, enjoyed that. Candlebells. So we be wonderful. What? What? I don't know. I don't know. Uh, I'm confused. Uh, sorry if that was kind of heavy. You know, it was pretty. That was really heavy for a Christmas special. You know, but but I think in the end, it's about the um, the true spirit of Candlebells, which is loving your neighbor, being kind, spending time with family, and we hope that you all have a very merry Christmas and a very happy Candlebells. Yes. Uh, <laughs> sorry, that was dumb. <laughs> merry Christmas and a happy New Year. Amen. Thank you for listening. Hallelujah. <laughs> Thank you for listening. Uh, Merry Christmas, happy candle bells, and good night. We love you. We love you. (laughs) Goodbye. For all the people who think they're going to be blowing up my Discord about my voice, please don't. (laughs) (laughs) I don't, I don't. I don't need 30 people from Billy Paul's Discord saying, Was that you? That's probably not going to happen. Be like, yeah. Okay, I'm going to If you do, I'll just block you. Glaus, I have come to say one thing to you. I'm sorry. Climax. <laughs> what is that? I said Climax. <laughs> this is where it gets interesting. Merry Christmas, everyone. Unreal. Unreal. (laughs) Two years later, my voice still sounds like a squeaking doorknob. (laughs) I'm going to just turn his mic off. He'll just be ambient sounds. (laughs) Okay. All right. We're ready. We're ready. So you guys have been tasked with saving all of Candlebells. So, I mean, that's probably pretty cool, right? Yeah, that's exactly right. How does Santa Claus do this? Who said that? Candle King. How does the Candle King do this? Candle King's elf. Flow. <laughs>